What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. Today at Rachel's World, let me tell you about a book I read recently. It's called Muddy, the story of blues legend Muddy Waters by Michael Main and illustrated by Evan Turk. I've always been a sucker for great books that combine my two great passions, reading and music. And I've always been a fan of classic blues, and I love to read books that talk about its history and how it evolved into other forms like rock and roll. So you can bet when this book came across my desk, I was immediately intrigued. Muddy Waters was a tenacious young man who really didn't like to take no for an answer. Growing up, he made instruments out of anything and listened to the legends around him play like Sun Howes. Working in the fields by day and playing in music joints at night soon became unsatisfactory for Muddy, who packed up and moved to the big city of Chicago, where music was pushing boundaries. Muddy played in lots of clubs and even tried to make a few records, but it was not until he captured his own unique signature sound that he was able to make a record that sold out in 24 hours. Through hard work and determination, Muddy helped invent a style called Chicago Blues, the music that inspired generations to come, including the Beatles, Chuck Berry, and Led Zeppelin. Expressively told, this book captures Muddy and his music with rich language that expresses the sound of the blues, but in words. The rich folk art quality illustrations are stunning. They use a mixed-media approach with watercolor, oil pastels, marker ink, and newspaper collage to create bold illustrations that often put color down on the page and then take it off with very simple scratched lines. The use of rich, deep colors with lots of reds, oranges, and yellows expresses perfectly Muddy's bold nature and capture the movement and chaos of his life and music. An author's note at the end gives more depth on Muddy's life and caps off the book with a photograph of his smiling face. Taken together, this book offers a wonderful look at a great musician who truly made music from the heart. Just because you love to read doesn't mean you love to write. Obviously, the advantages of reading are many, opening new worlds of thought and meaning, providing entertainment and refuge, expanding our horizons. But here's a plus to reading we often overlook. How about helping us become better writers? Our first guest, educator and writer, Mary Bigler, confirms this. Books, from picture books to novels, can actually become a child's mentor giving them opportunities to imitate an author as they are learning how to write. Once a preschool teacher and now a professor, Mary Bigler has spent her life promoting literacy and celebrating the joys of teaching. She's an award-winning professor in the Department of Teacher Education at Eastern Michigan University and author of Lessons Learned. Here's Rachel with Mary Bigler. We're on the phone today with Mary. Welcome, Mary. Hello. Nice to be here. We always love to have you here at Worlds Awaiting, Mary. You have such wonderful things to share with us. And today I'd like to chat a little bit about writing and the connections that we can make with writing and books. So what would you like to start out telling us? Well, you know, I think most parents 
know that reading to children helps them become better readers because they learn vocabulary and gain background knowledge and they see that reading is fun and, and many other important things. But what we may not realize is that reading to children and having them read helps them to become better writers. So the authors and their books become mentors for our children. And mentor books or texts, sometimes we call them pattern books or modeled writing. I don't know, there are different names for that. It gives children something to imitate. And most of us know about parodies. We've heard about parody writing. And when someone writes something very similar to what someone else has written, we say they've done a parody. So I like to give children a model or a pattern or a book to imitate so that they'll experience the ease of writing so they don't have to start from scratch and they can be successful and they can feel like a writer because they're doing what a real writer does. I love that sense of the ease of writing because I think oftentimes when we teach writing, we can get bogged down with the mechanics or particularly when we do creative writing, we can get bogged down into the mechanics of, you know, I have to have a story and I have to have a plot and I have to have a beginning, middle, end. So so doing this kind of parody or basing their writing off somebody else gives them that wonderful structure and so they can play with language and, and extend themselves without feeling too overwhelmed. So I, I really love that sense of, of using these mentor texts. So are there some texts that you would recommend along these lines as great mentors? Oh, yes. I love to start with a writer from California, a lady named Judith Stark, who did a book called Don't Cross Your Bridge Before You Pay the Toll. And what she did is she took proverbs, famous sayings and famous adages, and read the first half of the sentence to the children and asked the boys and girls to complete the sentence. So it's just simply filling in a few words, but she got some hilarious results So I always take that in and share it with the children, and then we do our own. So, for example, from her book, Don't Cross Your Bridge Before You Pay the Toll, she says, don't bite the hand that, and we know the traditional ending would be, feed you. But the children said, don't bite the hand that looks dirty. (laughs) (laughs) Or or, a penny saved is not much. (laughs) Or children should be seen and not spanked or grounded. (laughs) So I start out with just a simple sentence and have the children complete it. Then I like to show them that professional writers imitate other writers all the time. You know, it's been said that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So we sure see that in a lot of children's books. So, for example, Carol Green did The 13 Days of Halloween. So she says, on the first day of Halloween, my good friend gave to me a vulture in a dead tree. On the second day of Halloween, my good friend gave to me two hissing cats and a vulture in a dead tree. Well, now that's just a parody of the 12 days of Christmas. And we're so blessed that we have a variety of genres that we can use with children to get them to write by sharing real writers. So, for example, if I want kids to write descriptive stories filled with dialogue and detail, I need to show them what that looks like and what that sounds like. So I use a book like Florence Heidi's book, Some Things Are Scary. Seeing something on your plate you know you're not going to like is scary. Stepping on something squishy when you're in your bare feet is scary. Roller skating downhill when you haven't learned how to stop is scary. And, of course, she goes through and gives them many ideas of things that are scary, and then the children write their own. And I had a 
second grader who wrote, monsters are very scary, but I'm not afraid of them. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was a little self-talk there. (laughs) Yeah, so it's good. It's good. Because that's that's what writing should do for us, right? It should allow us to express ourselves. And and I love this sense of how playful and engaged your students are with this wonderful language and the way it is because you've made it something that they can express themselves and not something they have to follow a formula or a pattern. Right. And, and you know, well, I want writing to be fun and enjoyable. And, and, yes, there are times we have to do more serious kinds of writing, but at least in the beginning or for reluctant writers or students who have not experienced a lot of success with writing, I think the imitative writing or modeled writing, pattern writing, mentor writing, whatever you want to call it, is just a wonderful way to get them engaged and get them over the fear of writing. And, you know, so I'll read a book like Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, which is just like a classic book written by Judith Fiorst. And the little boy goes through and tells all the horrible things that happen. So, of course, the kids enjoy talking and writing about that. One of my fourth graders said, my terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day is when I went to the dentist and he says, you need braces. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And again, talking about the different genres, if we want students to learn how to write uh, persuasive essays, well, then we should read a book like I Wanna Iguana by Karen Orloff. In I Wanna Iguana, a little boy tries to talk his mom into letting him take a pet iguana that one of his friends has to give up because the friend is moving away. And so there's a series of letters between the little boy and his mom where he's trying to convince his mom that she should let him have the iguana. And boy, if you want a good example of persuasive writing, that's as good as you're going to get. And the children can relate to it. And then they try to write a persuasive letter based on what was done in that book. And that's uh, always a wonderful way to introduce persuasive writing. And, uh, of course, you know, ABC books are always popular and of interest to children. So I use those. And probably my favorite is a book called Q is for Duck. And it's by Mary Elting. And the kids enjoy guessing the answers. So, for example, A is for zoo. Why? Because there are animals in the zoo. And B is for dog. Why? Because dogs bark. So we read that, and then the children make up their own. And I have two examples from second grade that I love to share. Uh, C is for frog. Why? Because when they get hit by a car, they croak. (laughs) (laughs) Two frog croaking issues there. I love it. That's perfect. That's that's right. And one that here, I'm from Michigan, and this uh, the kids could relate to, D is for lions and tigers. Why? Because they play in Detroit. So that, that was, <laughs> I love it. That was just second graders. I was so impressed with, with their uh, writing. Um, another alphabet book, Animalia by Graham Bass, the wonderful... Beautiful, um, beautiful book. Illustrator. Yes, beautifully illustrated, and the language is so rich. And again, my upper L, fourth, fifth, sixth grade children loved the language, the vocabulary. For A, it's an armored armadillo avoiding an angry alligator. And listen to these beautiful words for D. Diabolical dragons daintily devouring delicious delicacies. And, of course, I had the children in fourth grade imitate that. And here's one. Fat, ferocious foxes, fake frying fries. (laughs) Just alliterated sentences. And one of the most popular alphabet books of all times, and I'd encourage all of our listeners to um, think about getting this one from the library and sharing it with the family. It's um, 
called Tomorrow's Alphabet. One of my favorites, yes. (laughs) Yes, by George Shannon. And it and first of all, I even like to the children to predict what they think that title is going to be about, and they never can quite guess. But they give you a letter. B is for eggs. Tomorrow's birds, because of course birds hatch from the eggs. C is for milk. Tomorrow's cheese, because we make cheese out of the milk. And this one E is for campfire. Tomorrow's embers. Because when that campfire burns down, of course, we've got embers. And the children come up with priceless things, like Q is for princess, tomorrow's queen. Or I is for pencil, tomorrow's illustration. Those are just fantastic, you know. And then information books. I love information books. And um, probably my favorite book of all time to use for informational Text is the important book by Margaret Wise Brown. Mm-hmm. It's been around. It's an oldie but goodie. So the important thing about the sky is that it is always there. It is true that it is blue and high and full of clouds and made of air, but the important thing about the sky is that it is always there. And children of all ages can respond to that with their own writing. And so I had a little third grader that said, the important thing about your teddy bear is he helps you go to sleep. He is soft. He is fluffy. He is cute. But the important thing about your teddy bear is that he helps you go to sleep. What a wonderful way to get a child to reflect about what's important to them. That is so wonderful, Mary. I truly appreciate your insights here because it really gets us to look at text in a new way and allows us to see that it's not just about the reading, but it's also about the writing as well. And each of these activities you've described are something that parents can do at home or teachers can do in school and and just get kids to extend upon their reading into their own writing. Yes. You know, I say we don't want children imitating every other writer all the rest of their career, but we do want them to create their own original and unique writing style. But as a beginning strategy to get new writers to write, I think imitating someone else is a real easy way to begin. And they can piggyback off other people's ideas. And I say artists imitate Picasso and piano players imitate Mozart. Why shouldn't children use authors as their mentors? <laughs> so. I want to I want to encourage parents to don't say that's cheating or copying because what we're doing is borrowing ideas or strategies or topics and making them our own. And that's not wrong. That's good to me. That's just utilizing the resources we have available to help us improve our skills. Yep, that's good practice. You're right. (laughs) If we just use what we have and and help children grow and play with language in their own way, then they'll be engaged with it for much longer. Thank you so much, Mary. I just love talking to you and appreciate you sharing with our listeners your great insights. Well, I sure enjoy the opportunity to do it, and I want all the children to be successful writers, and I know if parents and teachers and caregivers and grandparents and all interested adults help children be more comfortable with writing, they'll become good writers. Great way to put it. Thank you so much, Mary. Thank you. Educator and author Mary Bickler, talking about how reading books can help children become better writers by introducing them to mentor texts books that children can imitate. Next, Rachel welcomes fellow librarian Jean Nelson, director of the Provo City Library, who has an expansive vision of what a library can be, 
offering not only the printed word, but digital resources and centers for community. Jean Nelson has participated on many local, regional, and national committees, including the Caldecott Committee, in 2000 and in 2010. He also teaches children's literature classes at BYU. Here's Rachel with Jean Nelson. Welcome, Jean. We're so glad to have you today. Rachel, it's good to be back. You know, when we talk about literacy and engaging children with literacy, one of the best places I think can, that can do that in our society today are libraries. I agree. And you're the director of our local Provo City Library. So share with us a little bit about what you think libraries offer the community to help connect parents and adults and children with literacy. You know, the, the it's a wonderful question because we are right in the midst of some major changes with our public libraries. There are those that say, well, gee, in this age of internet and quick accessibility, digital information, we don't need the libraries. Uh, I just came from our library today, and uh, today we had some make-and-take crafts. And so we're seeing a growing movement, too, to provide opportunities for people to have a do-it-yourself opportunity at their libraries. Uh, many of our younger generation are more interested than just not just coming to the library for information or for reading, entertainment, but they're wanting to be creative. And the p- local public library throughout the nation, many of them are latching on to the idea that maker spaces and other type of opportunities uh, can bring in maybe a different sort of audience as well. And that's not saying that we're going to throw the books out with the baby, you know, in the bathwater. Because we still, at Provo, we're still circulating about 1.7 million items a year. Most of those are books. Then we also have people that don't ever come into the building itself. But they go online, they get to a website, they find a database that they can research something, or they can download the latest Stephen King book to their device And they're still using their public library. And then we started this year a story time in the park where we are actually doing outreach and going to five parks around the outskirts of Provo and taking story time there to a lot of those kids and parents that can't get to the library. So I think there's so many things that we're doing in our local libraries to stay relevant. I would think we're making a lot of changes, not, again, throwing out the good things that we've done for years But what can we do from the future? What does our future hold? Well, you know, and that's one of the things I think the future for libraries to me are just places of community. And they really are, you know, as trite as it sounds, they really are the the gathering place for our community. And there's so much of the social aspect to this as well. I mean, like the ladies in my neighborhood have been tending the uh, story times in the park, they just love to go together and gather together as a group. Um, they touch I, bases on yeah, child development. Yeah, How's your kid doing it, here? Yeah, and, exactly. Mm-hmm. And they and they they interact with each other. One of the things I love that you've done recently too is um, the teddy bear sleepover. <laughs> oh, the the teddy bear sleepover. So we had close to three hundred stuffed animals delivered to us that we had to keep separate with names and everything on the, the morning and the day before the teen lock-in. And so that night, a lot of the teens would then place the animals 
in various spots throughout the library, and pictures were taken. And then the pictures were given to the children, showing them what their stuffed animals were doing when they weren't watching. And we've had so much fun doing yeah. that type of thing. You know, one of the things that you mentioned as far as this gathering spot, I think that's one of the big futures for public yeah. libraries. We have everything from the local Lelechi League to the Republican Women's Group. We have author visits. We love to make uh, contact with readers and authors and connect the two. So we've had a lot of big-name people come through. Uh, We have weddings. We want to do things that will allow people to come together. One of the big worries, um, oh, probably 20 years ago when this Internet stuff started really coming around, this idea of cocooning and the worry that we're just going to be staying in our homes online and not interact with one another. And how is that going to be a detriment to our society? I think we're seeing some of that. And so I think the public library can be a gathering spot for a lot of different voices to come together. And I think people often forget things things like literacy, reading and writing seem like such solitary efforts, but they really are social efforts. Um, one of my favorite quotes is that you really don't know how you feel about a book until you start talking about it. And so that sense of, okay, we need to we need to make reading, we need to make writing, we need to make all of this as part of a community uh, is so important. And I think that's where libraries, they bridge so that too. kind of gap. And we have some book reporting that we can do as part of our summer reading program to get a little prizes and stuff. You know, one of the things that we have at Provo that I know other libraries across the nation do is um, we're involved with adult literacy. And we have Project Read, which is uh, centered here in Utah County, that is a one-on-one tutorial effort for adults who do not know how to read and or want to increase their reading capabilities. And it is surprising that in this day and age, we have people leaving school and they cannot read above a second grade level, but it's happening. And so I think that's a public library can help people pull up their own bootstraps too and get better jobs, more opportunities, different opportunities. I think that's important to remember because especially if you don't feel confident with your literacy skills, helping the children or people in your lives is that much harder. So being able to take care of your needs as well is a great place. And and libraries are really safe places for everybody to be able to join together and say, oh, you know, it really doesn't matter. We're going to help you. We're going to support you and make sure that you you feel comfortable with these skills. I was just listening to a woman on a Project Read tour who was one of their students. And the catalyst for her to really start doing better with her reading was her daughter. And she wanted mom to read to her and she was struggling. And she wanted to set, she was from Russia, and she wanted to set a good example for her daughter. And that was her catalyst. And so you're absolutely right. And our kids need to be read to on a regular basis. And if an adult in their life can't do that or struggles, that child is going to struggle too. We're finding research based upon that too. Mm -hmm. If an adult in their life or adults in their life are struggling with reading, chances are the children are going to struggle with reading too. It it very much can be a generational thing. And we absolutely just being able to provide that support, I think, is amazing. But one of the things I love about Provo is just the extent of the resources you offer. You've talked about e-books and online books. Most libraries will do that. They They will provide us with any kind of range of things you want. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's one of the important things as we look to the future is is keep in mind, and even some of us old dogs have to really be thinking, okay, 
when I first started, books was the only thing, along with records. And then, yeah. and then yeah. cassette tapes yeah. were a whole new medium. But now we need to start thinking, okay, what about five and ten years from now? What are our patrons going to want? And those are some of the things that we've just done in, in a strategic planning process yeah. and trying to look to the future. But we're seeing some real critical things happening, this creativity thing I talked yeah. about. People want to get their hands on things. And where else would you go to do some of these things but your public library? And I've often told people, they ask, so what's your, your best resource? It's the yeah. library staff. It's the librarians. Yeah. And they can help open all of those different portals and doors for you, depending on what you want. And they're the ones that are trained, that are knowledgeable about the collection there. And frankly, collections remotely, too, they're becoming more knowledgeable about. Well, thank you so much, You're Jean. Very I, I hope our listeners will seek out their public libraries and their so public too. librarians and find out what great things are going on in their communities. Jean Nelson, director of the Provo City Library talking about the many benefits libraries have to offer the community, from books in all forms to other activities. We finish up the show today with another round of book trivia. Cole Wissinger of the World's Awaiting Team tests students on the Brigham Young University campus on their knowledge of young adult fiction. All right, I am once again outside the library at BYU, surrounded by students, to play another round of children's book trivia. Here we go. In the Hunger Games universe, they divide the known world up into 13 districts. And our protagonist, Katniss Everdeen, comes from which number district? 11 or 13? 12? I don't know. (laughs) One of those high ones. Let's go with 13. District 12. District 12. District... (laughs) 12! 12! Say it one more time. 12. (laughs) 12, yeah. Yep, she's right. If she's that excited about anything, you go for it, all right? Okay, now they get a little bit harder, all right? Holden Caulfield has a hunting cap in The Catcher in the Rye that is a very distinctive color. What color is that cap? Green? I don't know, I've never read the book. Blue? Blue. I'm gonna guess yellow. Orange. I want to say brown. Red. Red. I have no idea. Red? (laughs) Green. Blue. Brown. Red. (laughs) It was red. In The Little House on the Prairie. My mom loves this series. Um, Laura Ingalls Wilder and her family start their journey to the prairie from which U.S. state? Massachusetts. I want to say Pennsylvania. Tennessee. Missouri. I'll go with Missouri. I want to say Minnesota. Oh, oh, it's been a long time since I read those. I have read them. Do they start from Minnesota? So close. It's Wisconsin. Wisconsin? Wisconsin. And then last question from A Wrinkle in Time. You have the three ladies that kind of launched our hero on her adventure. And they were named Mrs. Who, Mrs. What's It, and Mrs... Oh, I know this. Oh. Is it why not? Mrs. Where? Mrs. How? Why? You're here. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Dang it. I can't remember. I remember it was like another question. It like went along with the others. W kind of questions. Yeah. That's it. 
Why? Probably something with where. Where? Where's a... What's her name? <laughs> when or where? It's Mrs. Witch. Oh. <laughs> but you're on the right track. All Thank right. you so much. Cole Wissinger, playing YA book trivia with students on the BYU campus. Thanks for listening to Worlds Awaiting. Tune in weekdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app, and at byuradio.org.